At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. It's awesome to see and hear what God is doing. It reminds me um, so many times we, uh, we can believe the lie that Satan wants to tell us that God is not working, God is not moving, God is not uh, doing anything. But man, can I tell you today is just a reminder that there are people watching online right now that maybe are far from God, are interested in, does God love me? Um, is God working still? And the answer is yes. And uh, may we never forget that even when we can't see it as we sing, he's still working, he's still moving. I mean, it makes it so much, uh, I'm so thankful, even as Pastor Alex said, for your investment in following Woodside's uh, direction of wanting to more and more be involved in sharing the gospel and the and the message of Christ in the digital world so we could meet people that might never come into the physical building, but one day might come into the physical building because they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so even if you're watching online on Facebook today, you can share right now. And maybe someone, you're one of your friends, one of the people that you don't think would ever listen to the gospel might this morning decide, man, I'm just going to tune in and hear the message of Jesus and uh, be changed forever. Just powerful stories. Maybe we could just end there and go home and be encouraged today and uh, be just fine. But we're going to continue in our sermon series, uh, Learning to Love Again. If you would turn with me to uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3 this morning. That's where we're going to be. 1 John chapter 3. Um, I recently read an article or a summary paper uh, written by 15 university researchers for Science Magazine. And uh, it's interesting, they were studying the rise of political sectarianism, which we've probably fully experienced in the last year or so, which they define as this, the growing tendency of one political group to view its opponents as morally repugnant. So they they do not see them in, in high regard whatsoever. And they identified some interesting uh, ingredients to this destructive form of polarization uh, in moralization, aversion, and othering, like they are other. And, and, it's, and it was more, as you read the article, it's more than just a, um, a moral compass or thinking that their moral compass is superior to someone else's. Or it was more than just simply avoiding or disliking someone who doesn't have your same perspective. No, they put it this way. It's psychologically, intellectually, relationally placing that person that is different than you in the political sphere or that political party into a whole new alien category that is altogether different than you to the point where they are no longer seen as fully human. This is the kind of polarization that's happening. And it's a scientific, uh, scientific explanation uh, to what's happening and summing up what's happening in the world around us that could be summed up in one word, hatred. Hatred. And we don't have to probably think too long. Uh, we, we, we've seen it. We've sensed it. It's, it's rooted in what we're seeing all around us. And it's made deep inroads into our lives and into our communities and the people around us and maybe even into the church, some, or maybe a lot. And when we look at it, we might at the beginning say, maybe not, or I kind of disagree with you, Jim, and that's fine, we can disagree and we can do it politely. 
and we can do it nicely, right? Now, some things we hate that are insignificant. I mean, we hate different foods, all that kind of stuff, right? I don't know any individual that's wholly spiritual and a follower of Jesus that loves peas, like something's wrong with you. <laughs> that's just biblical. Like we hate certain things, right? And we hate uh, all of us. We could all agree we've learned to hate pandemics. I hate cancer. Um, I've seen a number of people this year uh, that have passed away from cancer, suffering, war, death. We hate these things, and we should, right? And then as followers of Jesus, there are certain things that we should naturally hate or we should all agree on to hate, certain sins, certain things that distract us from fully following Jesus in real ways. But sometimes... What happens, we end up uh, falling into the very sin that we ought to hate. We end up, instead of placing our hatred on ideas or things or events or experiences, or even the sin that we should avoid, we end up placing it directly onto human beings. Now, you might be thinking, Jim, that's not me. I'm not a hater. Like, I don't struggle with that. I don't hate anyone. There's no problem. It's no big deal. But um, it's interesting, in the seasons that we've been living in, sometimes I believe we start to slip into certain areas. So if I just started naming people, and let's just check how you feel in your gut towards them. You might name some senators, now, depending on where you're at, you, you, you might be like, ugh. Or one former president or a new president or whoever might be, just check in your spirit for a moment. I know I'm getting into an unknown space. Or maybe it's someone else or something else. It's an organization or an individual or your spouse or someone else. That's, you start to name their mentions or an ex-spouse and your, the heart of, of your heart begins to churn or change. And I think in many times, following Jesus is a journey, if you didn't know. It is a process of learning to love again and again and again and again and losing our way. I mean, the first time that we think that we finished the thousandth chapter and we've aced the quiz of Christ-likeness, there is another thousand chapters to learn once again and be confronted with on a weekly, monthly, yearly battle. I will say, before I preach this message this week, I had to do some heart analyzation to make sure I wasn't standing before you this morning. That is one of the struggles of being a pastor preacher, that I have to share with you truths many times that I wrestle with myself. And so this week I had to wrestle with this myself in learning to love again because I'm human and I have my own faults and I struggle in many different ways. And so when you look at 1 John chapter 3, we're going to read it here just in a moment. We find uh, John making a distinguishing difference between children of God and children of the devil. And this is super key to what his theme is and what he's trying to declare. You remember the first week, he said, I write these things unto you that you may know that you have salvation that you may know that you know him. So a key theme is him distinguishing whether you truly know him or you think that you know him. He doesn't give a third option. There's no like third area. It's not like you know Jesus, you don't know Jesus, and then you're like churchgoer. That's not a category in scripture. It's you're all in or you're all 
not in, right? And, and what he says, the difference between children of God and the children of devil is the love for God and love for people in serving others. We see that. If you look with me quickly in verse 10 of chapter 3, he drives home his claim. And this section is going to uh, focus. The section of scripture we're looking at today is going to focus for the grounds with which he's about to say right here in verse 10. He says this, by this it is evident who are the children of God. So he's giving evidences. And I want to, again, I said this a, a bunch of times, but I always want to be abundantly clear. There's nowhere in scripture that says because you prayed a prayer as a 10-year-old and you wrote it in the back of your Bible, you are a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying you're not if you did. What I am saying is that this is in Scripture, and none of that is in Scripture. And what Scripture says is this is how you know that you know him. This is how you know you are a follower of Jesus. By this it is evident that you are children of God. And who are the children of the devil? So he says these are the defining makers. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So loving others is a distinguishing marker of being a lover of God, is what he's saying. So what is guiding your heart today? As you came in this morning, like as you're watching online, what's guiding your heart today, filling your head today? What's motivating your hands today? Is it love or is it hatred? Is it just a little measure of hatred in our Hearts, I think we can all agree right now that in our world, in our nation, in our church family, and in our families, the world, our families, the church, and everyone else needs to see the difference of what it looks like. They're looking for it. They want to see it. And so we're going to read in verse 11 down to verse 15 and see uh, here that hate takes. We're just going to see two things. Hate takes and love serves. Hate takes. Look what it says in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So again, he's reiterating, this isn't something new. You've heard it from the very beginning. This is something Jesus taught, and I'm just reiterating. We should not be like Cain, who was of, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Righteous, excuse me. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. You see that again? That's another defining. We know that we have passed from death to life. We've come alive in Christ because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So... Real quickly, this is a general epistle. This is meant to be sent out, not to a specific church, but it was going to travel around to all of the churches throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So all these different churches would have read it, and I think that long-term, God had the intention of us reading it together today as well, and every church that it might impact us here. And what John is doing, John is just reiterating something that Jesus already commanded. He's teaching these believers what it looks like to follow Jesus. He's challenging them. I'm sure you've heard Jesus challenge his own followers in maybe this exact way and all of humanity when he says, man, love everyone, even your enemies. I mean, throughout Jesus' ministry, 
He took the time to explain the true meaning of the Old Testament uh, passage in Leviticus 19:18, where Jesus, where the, where, excuse me, God commands us to love our neighbors, right? And, and then someone comes up to Jesus and says, "Well, who's my neighbor?" And there was different rabbinical teachings on this that some said this or that, this would constitute your neighbor. And Jesus flips all of that on his head when he says there's this, this beautiful parable about a good Samaritan. At the end, the Samaritan's the good guy, and Jesus drops the mic and is like, you even love the Samaritan because he's the good guy. Love your enemies even, literally what he's saying. He goes further. He says, man, this is what Jesus has been teaching all along. I mean, even the Sermon on the Mount, maybe the most important scriptures in all of the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43, you've heard it said, that, that was said, you, will not, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, he's given a new teaching, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can I just real quick pause? When's the last time that you prayed for someone that you strongly disliked, hated? That person that you see on the news every week that you strongly have bad feelings for, when is the last time that you took time to sit down and pray for that person? Right? He says this, and pray for those who persecute so that you may be sons of your Father who is heaven. What he's basically saying is that you will reveal that you are my children when this process happens. Notice all the parallels between what John is saying here and what Jesus taught. Love and hate and enemies and children. John is simply just passing on the teachings of Jesus. He's taking what he heard in his time with Jesus for three years, learning and growing with him, and now he is challenging new believers to do the same. I mean, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And don't just make the disciples. Don't just get them to pray a prayer and leave them. No, teach them to obey all that I, Jesus, have commanded you. And that's exactly what John is doing here. He's teaching them. But look what it says down in John 13, 34, another passage. Again, John, the same writer, the apostle would have wrote this. He says, a new commandment, as he's talking about Jesus' teachings, is what Jesus taught them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. Now, I'll say... I've said this before. He could have said anything. He could have said how much money you give to the church, like what you do or don't do, whether you wear a suit and tie on Sunday or you don't. He could have said a lot of different things. Whether you serve at a homeless shelter. He didn't. He said, by this, what? All people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I would say that this is a pretty important theme throughout Scripture. I would say this is pretty important. And again, John is just reiterating in 1 John what he already knows about Jesus, has been taught and wrote down in the Gospel of John as well. And John makes a point here. He's saying a failure to love one another is symptomatic of a failure to love God. A failure to love other people is symptomatic of a heart that is, uh, is not loving God. He's saying they go hand in hand. And then he illustrates it with this beautiful story of Cain and Abel. I don't know if you know the, the story. Spoiler alert, uh, Cain kills Abel. <laughs> if you want to go and read it sometime, right? 
Cain became a, a, a murderer of the first degree. I mean, it's amazing to watch. This is Adam and Eve's children, how quickly humanity became evil. I mean, real quick. And you have the first murder. Read with me quick. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. In the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and very fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. I don't know what that means, but I think it's like he was sad. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So he's giving him grace here. He's saying, man, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted by me? If you bring me the firstborn like you're supposed to and the, and the offering that you're supposed to, will you not be accepted? It's not like Jesus or God just was like, I like you and I don't like you. Right? And if you do not do well, he says, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Abel offered the Lord his best, worshipfully, out of sincerity. The Lord was pleased. Cain, on the other hand, offers the Lord less than his best, offers it maybe out of duty or insincerity, and the Lord is not pleased. And then envy here, now, right, birthed, Fear is birth, jealousy is birth, resentment is birth, comparison is birth, hatred is birth, and then hatred in its full form, he now commits murder. He's given the opportunity for grace. God says, man, do this, you'll be good. And Cain instead allows temptation to rule over him, acted out of hatred, and murdered his own brother. It's amazing to me that this is exactly what Jesus says we do when we hate people. It's almost as if, in the couple passages I want to read for you quickly, like Jesus had this in mind when he was teaching, when he was sharing, when he was saying it. I mean, if you read with me, I know I'm reading a ton of passages of Scripture, but I think it's super helpful for us to see this in the text of Scripture. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, again, the Sermon on the Mount, super important for us as followers of Jesus. You've heard it said... That it was, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable of judgment. So he's quoting Old Testament. But Jesus says, but I say to you, he's giving a new teaching on this text. That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. It's fascinating. So if you were offering your gift at an altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's fascinating. Maybe, 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 as Jesus is saying this and teaching this, Cain and Abel with their offerings are in the back of his mind and the murder of Cain, or murder of Abel at the hand of Cain is at the back of his mind when he's teaching and saying, don't be like Cain. Your heart is important. It's not just about your actions. It's not just about the fact that you've never picked up a knife and killed someone or done something with your actual physical hands. It's more than that. Jesus is saying it's about your heart. It's about the disposition of who you are in your inner being. That's what God is worried about. So Cain took Abel's life. 
the Jews and the Gentiles took Jesus' life, and that's where we get our point, hate takes life. Hate takes life. Cain represents the world's attitude towards light and toward anyone who intends to live their life, their life in the light. Like Jesus says in John 3.19, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The contrast is Jesus, the light, who came to actually give life, not take life. He is the light of life, as Scripture says. He came to give it. So the message that John is giving here today, this is our big idea, follow Christ, not Cain. Bring life, not take life. The way of Cain actually brings uh, a death, and the way of Jesus brings life. Right? So Jesus looking down, the Father, God the Father looking down, sees us dead and actually sends Jesus to come and bring us life. And wouldn't you know that we are called what? Followers of Jesus? Right? Sunday school answer, followers of Jesus. So what then should be our response? Bringing life. Not taking life bringing life and penetrating the world around us that is growing darker and darker and darker and light penetrating into that darkness with the love of God, bringing life to people around us, even life to people that you think don't deserve the life. Even the people in our lives that we seem all the time that maybe don't get it. And apparently in the church, uh, churches that he was writing, there was some people whose hearts... Um, Words or deeds were motivated by hatred and not love. So back then, if it was happening, I'm sure it's happening today in the church. It's not an old age problem. This is a common problem that we're seeing more and more and more of. What does it look like for you? I heard a story pre-quarantine. Pre, um, when people actually gave hugs and touched each other. Um, I heard a story of a woman uh, who was surprised at church one day when a lady who went out of her way to avoid her every Sunday came up and gave her a big, big hug. And she was kind of off-put by it, thrown by it. This lady ignores me on purpose and walks by me. And she hadn't been there in a couple of weeks. And she went on and finally got her, her answer at the end of the service as the pastor stood up and said, your assignment for next week is the same as last week. I want you to go out there and love on somebody you just can't stand. <laughs> right? Well, I think the lady was obeying her pastor. I think she might have missed the boat a little bit. It's not just about, oh, fine. I'll hug this person. There's an important distinction. We are not called to always like people. Can I get an amen? But we are called to love people. It's interesting when you read about it. Liking is something natural. It's instinctive. It's, it's liking doesn't take any effort. When you like people to hang out with, when you hang out with people you like, it doesn't take a lot of work. You just hang out with them because it naturally comes. It's liking, right? Liking is something that is physical and unintelligible. 
But the love that the Bible describes, godly love, Christ-like love, is completely different, and we don't need to confuse those things. Love of God is something that is not liking. I think God likes to be around me, but the love that God calls us to is the love that he did. He didn't look down and like Jim Dalkey. He looked down and said, poor Jim Dalkey is broken in his own sin and actually hates me, but I will choose to love him either way. I will go out of my way to come to earth, give my life, and choose to love him despite he hates me. That is the gospel. And that's what God calls us to step into. You know that hate takes not just from the other person, but it takes from you as well. When you hate someone, it takes your joy. It, it takes your fully experiencing what God has for you in everyday life. It robs you of wonder. It, it doesn't just take from other people. It takes from you personally. And God has something much more than that. So this week, I have a sign for you. Can you just go hug everybody after you don't like? No, I'm playing. I'd get a lot of hugs. So <laughs> what I do want you to do is I just want you to take time later. And I just want you to write down a prayer list, a very specific prayer list. There's something that happens. I think that Jesus had, maybe Jesus was right, maybe. When he says, pray for those who persecute you. Don't just love your enemies, pray for them. So I want you to go home today and I want you to take a, a pen and, and a, or whatever, if you use a smart device, and I want you to make a list of people that you really can't stand. I want you to start listing out political entities that you see on TV that you don't like and say, okay, they're on my prayer list because I don't like them. President-elect or former president, I'm going to write them. My dad, who's not around anymore, I'm going to write them. My ex-spouse, my current spouse. <laughs> Wherever that lands with you. Because there's something that happens in obedience to God when we actively pursue love and the betterment of other people that God begins to formulate change in our own hearts and lives. When we just think one day I'm going to wake up and be like, I'm going to love people tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. But something that God has for us, he says, pray for them. And I think there's something that spiritually happens when we act in obedience and follow Jesus in that. So you make your list, because it might be different than mine. And none of you are on that list. I'll just give you a... It's fine. I am praying for you, though. Either way. All right. Uh, next couple of verses, verse 16 to 18, we see that love serves, and we've got to end here. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... 
Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Here's another John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's very similar, same writer, John 3, 16 here, as he gives, he goes, he draws back and points to the example of Jesus giving his life for us as the true expression of genuine love. And again, John is not just simply uh, challenging us with instructions. He's, he's challenging us with instructions that Jesus already gave, right? John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Do you see, John here is just reiterating what he got from J Jesus in his time with Jesus. Now, Jesus literally laid his life down as part of God's redemptive plan, and, and we could never mimic that. Jesus did a work that we would never be able to do. But the, the example of self-sacrificing love needs to be a part of our lives. This is love in action. So is, is Jesus calling us to die? Is he? Absolutely. The language of Scripture is real with it. Take up your cross every day. Die to your own self because yourself doesn't want to love other people. Yourself wants to see your brother in need and keep your stuff. Yourself, myself, wants to not walk naturally into love because love is not just a, a, a word. It's an action. It's a verb. It's an expression. Imagine, just for a moment, if Jesus looks down and just says, I love you. Appreciate that. We're still down here. No, because love is not just an expression. Love is a deed, as he says. Don't just love and word. In deed and in truth, move. Do something about it. Go out. And that's why church... Again, I love the idea and the ability for us to have church online as well. I know so many people are unable to gather with us right now in this season, but that's why church isn't ever meant to be just online. So that we could see and feel and know one another, to be able to love one another well, walk with one another, see your needs. That's why we have a benevolence fund at our church and we're able to come alongside people here in our church and the community out there and love people not just with, hey, I'll pray for you, but physically in real ways. And God calls you to do the same thing because love serves. It does. It moves. The point is that love does, and it's not just talk. Talk is really actually quite cheap. It's rooted in action, wrapped in truth, full of Christ-likeness. You see, John's words might be pretty straightforward, I'll just be straight with you, as you already know. Super hard to live out. Super hard to walk in. And, and this week, you might even see it in your bulletin. Maybe you've already seen this. Uh, we want to honor uh, MLK. And in the back, you'll see a handout. And it says, as a church family, we desire to use this moment as an opportunity to act in advocating for marginalized, under-resourced, and forgotten people around us 
And below is some real ways that you can actually do this. And so we don't want to always just say, man, this is great. But we want to honor someone in the same process. Hey, say, go and do something about it. And we give you a host of lists of ways for you to engage in a real way, whether it's at our dream center or other places. Because love isn't just saying, I love you or saying, I love the world. It's actually doing something about going out. It's actually moving forward. I'll just acknowledge to you that it's a real fight in today's day and age. Um, maybe, maybe it was before this, I don't know, but in my life, it seems to be ever challenging more and more to follow Christ. Man, it's a daily, sometimes minute by minute dependence on the Holy Spirit to walk in the love of Jesus. I told you guys, uh, uh, first message out of this series, I got off a plane that morning flying home from Arizona, and I literally had someone curse me out in the airport. And it was like, God was like, Jim, you know what you're about to preach on? <laughs> it's ever present. Moments where we can either share love or we can share hate. But Jesus is calling us to something much better today. To be followers of Jesus, to penetrate the darkness and bring about light in the world and be known as his disciples, as followers of Jesus, living like Jesus. Love serves, hatred takes. Man, this morning, even as we sing, may we just do some self-evaluation, some real time, where man, maybe even at the end of the service, the song we're gonna sing is, I have decided to follow Jesus. And maybe for you this morning, and it might be uncomfortable for you, that's okay. That this morning, your, your response is just holding my hand up to God and saying, God, today, uh, I follow you. I'm releasing the anger I have at this, the place we find ourselves in America, this relationship that was abusive to me, Whatever it may be, today, God, I, I follow you, Jesus. And following you, Jesus, means I leave that behind me. And I'm stepping in and entering into this. And in honoring Dr. King, man, he was right. When he said these words are powerful. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He followed Christ, not Cain. And we must do the same. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.